On this episode of Bright Future, I talk about the constant and ongoing issue that is happening right outside my and your home, infrastructure. This is a weekly political podcast that follows current events and how we may do better so that there may be a brighter future, hence the name. I'm your host, Samuel Adams, but please call me Sam, and without further ado, let's begin this week's episode, which I have titled, 40 Grade. Normally, to draw inspiration for these episodes, I visit the White House briefing room on whitehouse.gov. I'll listen to the questions that the media is asking the president, or read statements that the president puts out on various issues. However, just like last week, no progress has been made on any of the issues that I discussed on this show in the past month. So instead, once again, I'm going to talk about myself, or rather, an issue that plagues all of us. Road construction. Just outside of my apartment complex, there is a road that connects two other major roads. And whenever I want to go anywhere, this road is the best way to start my my little journey. Or it would be if I was allowed to drive on it. Instead, this road has been closed and under construction since April of 2022. As of right now, that's 11 months. For over, sorry, as of right now, that is 13 months. For over a year, I have had to constantly take a detour, along with everyone else, along a smaller and longer road, which as a result has become busier and more dangerous. And the worst part is that that construction outside of my apartment on that main road is not expected to be completed until November, a total of 19 months. 19 months for a quarter-mile stretch of road? Are they installing a maglev train or something? Thus began my dive into the rabbit hole of the United States infrastructure problem. In 2019, the World Economic Forum rated the United States 13th in the world for the overall quality of infrastructure, and I was considering titling this episode Unlucky 13, but this is the 19th episode, not the 13th episode, so it didn't quite work. But when the World Economic Forum gave the United States that rating, it spurred a movement within the White House to modernize our infrastructure. Starting with research about more specifically defining what each of the problems are in order to address them. So let's look over those first. The American Society of Civil Engineers gives America an actual report card every few years on a comprehensive website that I've linked in the description. It starts with an overall grade before going into details about why that grade is deserved, and then they all do also go into detail about each state individually, so I recommend looking up your own state. Overall, America's score for infrastructure is a C-. An estimated 6 billion gallons of water is wasted every single day due to, due to degrading pipes. State and local parks are facing a collective $60 billion in deferred maintenance backlog, and not a single aspect of our infrastructure report card rates above a B. The worst rating on our report card is public transit. 45% of Americans have no access to transit, and the degrading public transit system is expected to increase road congestion, damage the economy, and severely worsen the air quality on in this decade. 
All of this is without mentioning our schools. Diesel fuel buses can cause and compound respiratory issues like asthma. 41% of schools has reported major issues with their HVAC systems. And while I was in high school, both of the places I attended had major renovations happen. There wasn't a single year where there wasn't some major reconstruction project underway. I've also visited the schools that my parents work at, and they could probably also use some serious upgrades as well, specifically new carpets. Those things get really nasty, and students often sit on them. While I was in school, they actually had carpet squares that they handed out to us, specifically so we wouldn't need to sit directly on the floor. Our biggest example of our failing infrastructure, however, is our pipes. The Flint, Michigan water crisis was a public health crisis that started in 2014 and officially ended in 2019, but that date is controversial, which I'll get to in a moment. The official start date is April 25th, 2014, when Flint, Michigan switched its water source from Detroit and Lake Huron to instead the Flint River. A few months later, an outbreak of Legionnaire's disease begins, and the city issues a water boiling advisory. Which is interesting, because Legionnaire's disease thrives in warm water. In October, General Motors' truck assembly plant stopped using tap water because of the high levels of chloride that were corroding their engine parts. No one noticed what the problem was at this time, but... By February 26, 2015, the EPA detected lead levels in tap water that was seven times higher than the acceptable limit. A month later, the city council voted to revert back to the Detroit water, but the emergency manager overruled that vote. In July, a Michigan Department of Environmental Quality official stated that anyone who was concerned about lead in the drinking water in Flint can relax. Two months later, Virginia Tech's water study team reported that 40% of Flint, Michigan had elevated levels of lead. In 2016, the governor of Michigan and a few days later, President Obama declared a state of emergency and disaster in Flint. They began passing out bottled water throughout the city and uh, tried to identify the water service lines as the main source of contamination. However, there were no verifiable records of the materials that the pipes were made of when they were first installed, and no way to tell which pipes were actually causing the lead contamination. So instead, the city used a machine learning model developed by professors at the University of Michigan to predict the likelihood that a certain building has a lead service line. That machine learning model was rated at about an 80% accuracy, but the city of Flint decided to ignore the machine learning model. In 2017, the Michigan Department of Environmental Quality declared that after a six-month study, the city's water tested below the federal limit for lead. However, the Environmental Protection Agency finds fault with this study. Instead of testing the water coming out of the tap right as it was turned on, the MDEQ let the water run for several minutes before collecting and testing it. In 2018, several other groups and individuals attempted to recreate the MDEQ's 2017 study and failed to come to the same result. One school even had its water tested, and it had six times the federally accepted level of lead. 
As a result, Elon Musk donated nearly half a billion dollars to the Flint school system to pay for UV filtration systems and remove the lead from their water supply. In 2019, the MDEQ once again published a study that stated the lead level was less than half of the federal limit. This is considered to be the official end of Flint's water crisis. But once again, independent investigations failed to replicate the MDEQ's study. A documentary called Flushing Flint was later released, which claimed that the testing done by the Michigan Department of Environmental Quality had been manipulated by flushing water from the taps for several minutes before actually doing the sampling, which violated the EPA's contrast that the samples must be first draw. Several criminal investigations also began in 2019, with 65 government-issued phones being seized as part of the investigation. By February 21st, 2020, 25,042 pipes had been excavated, and of those 25,000 pipes, 9,516 of them were lead and were replaced. 15,000 526 of the pipes that had been excavated had been confirmed to be made out of copper. If they had used the machine learning model, they wouldn't have needed to dig up that many unnecessary pipes. Finally, as of mid-July 2022, the city of Flint, Michigan claimed that it has inspected 27,133 service lines, replaced 10,059 lead and galvanized lines, and that that was the final phase of lead line replacements. How could this have been avoided? Well, the whole Flint, Michigan water crisis was caused by a simple rookie mistake that any engineer and plumber would have been able to catch. The Flint River water is minorly corrosive, and when it was introduced into the city's water supply system, no corrosion inhibitors were included. This resulted in lead from the aging pipe system flaking off and contaminating the water. So if you had simply included corrosion inhibitors, this never would have happened. Other actions could have also entirely prevented this issue. In 1972, the Clean Water Act was passed into law, but upholding and enforcing this law has lapsed. If it was properly enforced, then this whole crisis never would have happened. In addition, filtration techniques like reverse osmosis, activated carbon, and distillation could have also greatly reduced the amount of lead in the water, with carbon being the most effective. In addition, predictive models will likely need to be employed as most cities across the country have outdated or incomplete records for their water service lines. Because Flint ignored that model's predictions, they spent more than $20 million on unnecessary excavations that could have been avoided if they had listened to the model. Instead of targeting homes with the highest likelihood of having lead service lines, they just made a ton of those unnecessary excavations, over 15,000 of them. But the Flint water crisis was the outlier, right? This kind of thing won't happen anywhere else, right? According to the Environmental Protection Agency, there are 9.2 million lead pipes that carry water into our homes across the United States. 9.2 million. Flint isn't the exception. They were just ahead of the curve. Thankfully, this is one mistake that our federal government seems to have actually learned from. 
The Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act of 2021 has a division specifically for addressing the lead pipes issue, mostly funding to replace them, which naturally, several congresspeople are working to repeal or amend for the sake of the budget and debt ceiling. Hmm. Safe drinking water or a balanced checkbook? Which is more important? All in all, the Flint water crisis lasted, officially, over five years, which is a truly absurd amount of time to not have clean water. But in that time, the city accomplished a lot of infrastructure work, replacing thousands of pipes, which is when I looped back to my initial question. Why is the construction on the one road next to my apartment expected to take 19 months to complete? That's a truly absurd amount of time, but... What's being accomplished in that time? For the sake of my own anonymity, I can never pronounce that word. My my the, for the sake of my own anonymousness, that's not a word, but you know what I mean. I didn't include this link in the description in order to not leak my address because it would give you pretty close information to where I live. But I found a community website dedicated to the construction project going on on the quarter-mile stretch of road outside of my house. It specifically details what this construction project will accomplish, how there have been previously public meetings for the people in my area who know exactly where they are at the, with... Uh, <laughs> I get all tongue-tied when I do this. This website specifically details exactly what this construction project will accomplish and where it's currently at, including various public meetings for the people in my area to know exactly where they are at with the process. Effectively, what they're doing is they're turning a two-lane road into a three-lane road with a center turn lane. They're adding sidewalks that used to be missing. They're reinforcing a nearby stream to prevent erosion from its banks from taking out a nearby park and bridge. And looking at this map, there's even three public parks near my apartment that are getting an overhaul as part of this construction. And I never knew these public parks existed despite living here for three years. Because, well, I go for walks around my little area here, but there are no pedestrian walkways towards those parks or anything so i just never came across them and i never like looked at a map so i guess now i'll have to go and look at those parks once they finish all construction on them and then i read this sentence on the website with roundabouts at three intersections for a quarter mile stretch of road imagine running into three roundabouts in a row like that there's probably two groups of people listening to this episode, those who are groaning right now about the thought of running into multiple roundabouts at once, and those who are giddy at the thought of just driving in circles around and around and around and around these three little roundabouts. I haven't decided which group I belong to yet. I titled this episode 40 Grade as a play off of Road Grade, which is a measure of how much road rises or drops. It's measured effectively by the number of feet that a road will rise or fall over the next 100 feet. So 40 grade means the road would rise or fall by 40 feet over the next 100. To be clear, 5% grade is considered to be extreme. I chose the number 40 because of one last detail I found on the American Society of Civil Engineers report card. An estimated 40% of our roadways are in poor condition. 
40 grade is far too steep an incline or decline for any car, truck, or even person to walk on, but a mountain goat might manage it. I live in the Midwest, and every year the ground freezes in the winter and then thaws in the summer. Cracks in the road fill with small amounts of water, which freeze and expand before thawing again, which means that come every spring, the quality of our roads becomes nearly impassable with the uneven cracks and massive potholes. By March of this year, my city had logged over 6,000 complaints of potholes all over the city, which is apparently a new record. Not one I think we wanted to break, though. Investing in our infrastructure is definitely a must. According to the National Conference of State Legislatures, 60% of our power grid is past the end of its 50-year expected lifetime. It will cost an estimated $2 trillion to keep it operational. Otherwise, large and long-term power outages could also cause an uptick in crime. In conclusion, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act is most definitely not a waste of money. It's an investment in the structure that we use to build our lives. I urge Congress to stop any attempts to repeal parts or all of it, because it's definitely not something that we can cut from our federal budget. An investment in water, power, roads, and networks is an investment in our brighter future. There's no one else in the voice chat with me this week, so I'm going to end our episode here. Check the description for more information, including the resources I used to build this episode, and all of the places where you can find my podcasts. You can also join in our Discord to discuss these and other topics, as well as join in after I finish my essay section of these episodes to discuss further when these episodes are recorded live every Monday at 7pm Central Time. If you would like to support the show or spread the word, I have a merch store. Thank you for listening to this episode of Bright Future. These episodes are released every Tuesday at 6pm Central, so I'll see you back here next week.